Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Han Francisco Lariato has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Sano! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems, the inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, it ended up being cooler that I hit a third triple than hitting the grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I went into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you'll find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome back inside the Twins Clubhouse, our Twins Clubhouse program available all across the Treasure Island Baseball Network and wherever you find your Twins podcast content. Today's edition brought to you by our good friends at Mauer Chevrolet. Your local Chevy dealers at Mauer Auto are here and ready to help schedule your maintenance needs or book an appointment for a test drive online at Mauer Auto Group. Com. I am Chris Atterbury from Southwest Minneapolis today, and we are going down to the Lone Star State of Texas for Twins Hall of Famer and Twins legend, the wonderful Tori Hunter. And Tori, it's great to talk to you today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you guys thinking about me down well, here in the South. We obviously are in an unusual situation and uh, hoping to have baseball at some point here before too long. But being that the situation is what it is, I would guess your setup is actually pretty good for for this environment you've got some young guys around to keep you on your toes chance to keep people working out and uh and and stay in shape as as we await the start of the season man yeah definitely man i have uh three sons that you know one's playing the canadian football they're postponed right now he's usually leaving about this time uh and tory jr who's with the angels uh he's working out and he's actually a pretty good athlete as well so very competitive household and these guys are always coming over the lift, and they make sure I come in there with them. And, uh, and you know, I can't allow them to outdo me. So here I am doing the, the most, and I'm dying. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this house, that's all we do is challenge each other, whether it's on the field or off the field. Even, you know, as far as business or you know, whatever it may be, we compete in everything. And, uh, but it's, it's a healthy competition. And you've also got a new neighbor in Royce Lewis. You've been keeping eyes on Royce as well? Oh, definitely, man. He's uh, uh, quarantined for a while. Um, and, you know, I, I know he's been playing a lot of games. With, you know, they play on that 
I guess, the Call of Duty. And they yeah. play, play that all day with Tori, Darius, and Money, and uh, um, and Royce. They all play these games. And uh, so they're always in constant communication. I can't sit that long and, and play that game. I'm, I'm always doing something. Was it Darius or Money who was like a like a professional-level gamer? Well, didn't one of your sons wasn't he early on uh, to that where where he was could make a almost make a living doing it right? Yeah, definitely. That's very. He's still doing it. He's still creating content. Uh, has his own YouTube uh, channel. Um, his his uh, screen name is Scuffy Six, and uh, <laughs> so he's he's still doing it, man. He has an audience watching him play the game, and you know he's really good at, I guess, taking out guys on Call of Duty, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, and. I, I, I used to be upset with it, you know, and tell him, hey, man, this can't sit in a chair and do this. And he was like, Dad, I'm just trying to create content. You know, it's, it's a business later. And I understand that, but it just, it, for me, I, it, I was, it was tough for me to get on board with that because I, I think you need to work, you know. And he, But now that I realize uh, how lucrative it is and, and how much work you got to put into it, uh, I just kind of meet him where he is. And, uh, and now he's, you know, he's doing his thing, creating content, and people are kind of gravitating to it. That is awesome. Now, earlier, uh, I guess in the month or last week, um, everybody in, in baseball in the Twins family, we lost a, a, a one of a kind in Wayne Hathaway, the big mm. fella. And I, I know that you and he go way back. I believe he was one of the first members of the organization that you ever met. And we all have stories about Wayne. And what I kept coming back to me, Tori, as these were being swapped around last week was – that that's the game, right? I mean, you can change the rules at home plate. You can change the equipment. You can change the theory behind your launch angle. But baseball is people, and people like Wayne Hathaway are a big part of that fabric forever and ever. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I think one thing that you can't change is, is chemistry and camaraderie. The brotherhood we have is like a principle. You know, anything other than a principle is an opinion. And uh, that's one thing you can't change in baseball is that relationship you build while you're in it because you do have some some rough times and you have some good times and everybody's going to go through them together. But you got to row that boat and get each other out of those those pits and those rough times. And, and Wayne just happened to be one of those guys that that uh, that was amongst the clubhouse. Uh, he had a strange way of, of lifting you up. It might seem like it's tearing you down until you get to know him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh but Wayne was a part of that culture for decades and uh and so we you know we're going to miss him and it's definitely an end of an era. Yeah, it was always amazing when you'd see him shuffling down the service level making the rare visit to the visitors clubhouse. You really had to be high on his list to get a visit from Big Fella. You either had to be a an umpire who'd thrown him out in the Southern League or someone like yourself because you were a guy he was more than willing to make the trek down to the uh to the Halo clubhouse <laughs> or the Tiger clubhouse to see and then it would take him about a week to get back. <laughs> it definitely did. Uh you know what? Uh, Wayne and I, we hit it off right away. I was 17 years old in Fort Myers, Florida. And, you know, I, I always tell the story, you know, the first time I, I met this guy, he's like, I was like, I'm Tory Hunter or whatever and he, from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He said, oh, yeah, you're the first round. I hope you're better than the last one. <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? And uh, and Wayne and I just hit it off right then and there. And he had some crazy fans, man. He, you know, if you have a struggle – uh, and you strike out three times. He's walking back to the clubhouse, and the head is down. He pats you on the shoulder and says, 
It's not your fault. It's the scout that signed you. <laughs> that was his go-to, man. He loved he loved that line, big fella. And he, uh, he loved, uh, again, he, he will be it. he will be dearly, dearly missed. One last question, just kind of uh, quarantine related, before we get into playing a little uh, trip down memory lane with you, Tori and Tori Hunter, our guest on the Twins Clubhouse. A lot of energy. Sporting-wise, with lack of games right now, has been focused on this Last Dance Bulls documentary during the uh, the time we're all stuck in the house. Have you been keeping track of this? And do you have any Michael Jordan stories? Well, well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not not for radio though. <laughs> <laughs> those are the best and, kind, uh, right? Huh. Those are the best kind. Were you an Air Jordan guy, though, uh, growing up? Were you part of that, uh, that that crew who just you had to have the latest Jordan? You wore the shoes? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think every kid, you know, whether you can afford them or not, always wanted Jordans. And you see that those kids that couldn't afford them, but they were under the Christmas tree. Of course, you didn't get nothing else. You didn't get, you know, the little green men, army, <laughs> the army men. You remember that? That yeah. little bag you get in the yep. bag? Or you didn't get... Uh, any kind of superhero or anything like that. But if you got Jordan, you didn't care about nothing else. All I care about was my Jordan. And uh, my mom would scrape up enough money to get us some Jordans, man. We didn't have anything else. But when you have Jordans, people really look at you like, wow, you got the new Air Jordan? And uh, so this guy was a legend. Uh, we love that that show, The, the Last Dance. I watched a couple of episodes myself. And, you know, the Bulls were, were great. Even if you wasn't a Bulls fan, you rooted for Jordan every time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something that everybody in this whole country is watching, maybe the world. Well, it's good timing. Good timing for that release. We all need something to uh, to look at. So let's give people something to listen to, not look at right now. We're going to go back in memory lane. You've had so many amazing moments throughout your baseball career, Tori, and probably more still to come uh, in, the, in the future with your imprint all over the game. Uh, still with the Twins organization as well as your other businesses. People maybe forget, though, that you originally got called up for one game and no plate appearances in 1997. I imagine that's not going to happen very much moving forward. Uh, Now that we talk about clocks and service time and whatnot, the old call up the number one pick for one day and don't give them an at-bat, that that probably is a thing of the past. Oh, man, I I really haven't heard of, of, of that, you know, anywhere after me. You know, I know I got called up for uh, one day and, and it was three days, actually. And uh, they sent me back down to double A. I was 21, 22, and it was just a cup of coffee. But I got to tell you something. That that little three days gave – I had a chance to talk to Otis Nixon and, you know, Marty Cordova and, and uh, all these guys in the clubhouse. Um, it just – it changed my, my – my everything. I was in double A at that point. I remember in the beginning of that season in 1997, I was sleeping in a car in a parking lot because mm-hmm. I didn't have anything. I was broke. <laughs> and and I was thinking about quitting and going back to uh, Pond Oak, Arkansas. I was down and out. My mind was, I was doubting um, and, you know, trying to figure out if I was a true major league baseball player. I was starting to miss football and I was going to go back and try to play football in college and different things like that. And um, my wife told me to stay at the end of the season, feel the same way, and come back. So this is the only reason I was feeling that way is because I'm sleeping in a car, me and Armand Brown, in the parking lot of New Britain Rockcast Stadium. And mm. so when I got out of that situation, 
things got better and I got caught up in August and, and, and it just, you know, just those three days let me know this is the dream. I kind of tasted it. I touched it. And when they sent me back down, it, what that did for me is sparked something in me that I didn't know I had. And uh, so I appreciate Terry Ryan and Tom Kelly at the time doing that because maybe that wasn't their attention, their uh, intention, but I tell you what, it really changed my, my whole view of everything. Well, you obviously came into camp ready to go the next year because you got an early call-up in 98. Now, it wasn't real long. You are only up for six games late April, early May, but you did find time to pick up your first major league hit. Do you remember who was pitching in the situation? Man, I'll never forget that. Uh, Arthur Rhodes was pitching lefty uh, in Camden Yards, and I hit a, a ground ball, a little hard ground ball to right center field. Maybe right field, right field between second and, and uh, first. Uh, and the guy was throwing 100. So I got a hit off, off this 97-mile-an-hour fastball. And uh, and I thought that was pretty cool because I've seen Arthur Rose do his work in the major league uh, from the minor league uh, seats and, and it was, was able to face him and get a hit off of him. And then we went on to Boston, and, uh, and, and I think it was Wadden. I got my first double off the – the left, uh, left the green monster. And that was pretty awesome to get a double in Fenway off of, uh, I think, Wild, James Wilden. Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty, something I never forget. You know, it might not, people might not know about that, but I do vividly. And so it just kind of let me know and start building up confidence in me that I can play in the major leagues. And, you know, the rest, when I got sent down, I just fought my way back up every time. Well, we don't have the double, but we do have the first base hit. Let's take a listen. May 1st, 1998. Hunter called up when he was just down the road a piece in Bowie, Maryland. He was playing for the Twins double-A team. New Britain in Bowie and got the call up to the major leagues. And he just has gotten his first major league hit. So Torrey Hunter gets his first hit and take that soggy baseball out of the game, will you please? Number 36, Terry Slamlock. Well, congratulations to Torrey Hunter. First ball hitting. Not only did I get my first hit, but Cal Ripken touched it. touched it, it. that's right. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. You got Dick and Bird on the call, and, and they mentioned it was a little bit wet. I'm assuming you still have that baseball somewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. We have that baseball put up, hidden in the space. Uh, my grandkids might play with it, but <laughs> but I, I definitely think there was a special moment, individual moment. Uh, like what you heard, you know, I didn't waste no time. I saw the first nope. pitch. I knew he was going to throw a fastball. Bang! Hit the ball <laughs> on the right side. And Cal Ripken touched the ball, you know. And it's amazing because his 3,000 hits came to me in center field. There you go. And you and now he's somewhere right now going, yeah, my 3,000th hit, Toy Hunter touched that ball. Yeah. Well, no, he's probably not. He's probably like, who was that guy? Remember that? Well, you get, the first, <laughs> you get the first hit, you go back down, and you had a, your best minor league season by far. The rest of that year, as you said, the flame had been lit. Then in 99, you really established yourself, 135 games. You get your first home run. Do you remember who you hit your first home run off? Oh, man. I, I don't know if it was Dave Maliki or or uh, Brian uh, Moeller. Brian Moeller. Uh, good, right, good job. Yeah, Brian Moeller to right center field at Old Tiger Stadium. 
right center field off the second deck, and I'll never forget. And uh, it was a little cutter outside corner, and I, I was able to stay on it and, and drive it out of the park. And it was an awesome moment. I've seen Tiger Stadium on TV, and here I am playing it and get my, get my chance to get a, a major, my first major league hit. How about you going, Mr. Opposite Field, for your first hit and your first home run? That's, that's what, um, you know, that's what they were trying to get me to work on because they saw that I had tremendous power to the right side. Uh, I could turn on ball. Most of the people can turn on ball. But it's, it's harder for you to go to right center field and hit balls out of the park. And they were trying to teach me that in the minor leagues. I couldn't have the, the right people around me, I guess, to kind of show me what I needed to know. Uh, it wasn't until I got to the major leagues and started hanging around Marty Cordova and, and uh, different guys like that and, you know, showing me how to hit out of the park with power. And uh, so if you want to do something, you have to be around people that's doing it. And I was able to get around some people in the major leagues that showed me uh, how to hit that, use my power to all fields. Well, you guys became baseball's darlings. Obviously, you saved baseball here in Minnesota. You put the gears in motion to eventually get Target Field built. You win your first gold glove in 01. You play in your first all-star game in 02. Obviously, the memorable and very famous catch to steal a homer from Barry Bonds. A week after that, a week after you really had tipped your cap to the entire baseball world on the grand stage of the all-star game, you guys were in Cleveland in a very interesting situation. Let's take a listen to this one. There's Hunter plunked by a pitch, and he's down. Ron Gardenhire and also uh, Rick McWayne coming out. Torrey is up now. He's okay, and Al Newman is down quickly, and Hunter throws the ball back at Baez. Oh, boy. Torrey Hunter picked up the ball and threw it right back at Baez. And he hit him right in the leg. Yeah, now the bench is clear. Al Newman is holding Baez back. First of all, Gordo was shocked. He's still surprised that you threw the ball back. And Gladden couldn't couldn't be happier that you threw the ball back at at Baez. I I looked at the game. I know A.J. had been hit earlier in that ball game. Uh, Was there a backstory, or was that just one where you had just had enough? Well, um, man, if I could take that back, I would. I'm not the same guy I was then. I was very fiery. Uh, But... Cleveland, man, we, we had a feud with Cleveland Indians. They they hit me a lot. And, you know, really we never did anything. I feel like we didn't do enough to, to uh, after they hit me and a couple other guys all the time, I don't think we retaliated enough. And I just got fed up with it, and I got fed up with them, you know, trying to, we call punk us. And uh, so, we, you know, I my, my anger just just fueled, and, and I, I let it get the best of me. I wish I can go back and not do that again because I'm different um, and different mindset. But, you know, it fired the team up. And we and you will know what's tripped out is after that, I get phone calls from all these Hall of Famers. You know, to look at my phone and say, it said Willie Mays. Come on. <laughs> Willie Mays. And then you get another one from Ken Griffey Jr. Like, man, I wish I could have been that. They're laughing, you know. And uh, they just never had – they said they never had to – the guts to do it, and you did it. That's something I always wanted to do. And so I, I kind of gained some respect from some of the position players, but I, I think uh, a lot of the uh, pitchers didn't like it. So I got hit a lot more after that. <laughs> oh, instead of the other way, you got hit more. I tell you, you got a lot on the ball. That was the, the most amazing thing is having seen the video, Guardy's got you pretty tight, and you still managed to get some mustard on that thing. Oh, yeah, I put some, put some heat on it, and I got him in the leg. I didn't hit him. It wasn't in vain, put it like that. <laughs>
<laughs> Nothing. I would, I would tell kids, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, it's the heat of the moment. It's like a pickup basketball game. And Danny, Danny Baez, Danny Baez, we actually, uh, we talked about it later on in life. We laughed about it. We, we've hung out. We've, uh, it's a lot of different things, man. So, uh, it's all over with. We know it's like a pickup basketball game and it's something, of course, in the highlights forever, but we, we're definitely, uh, uh, good with it. All right. Tori Hunter, uh, again, is our guest here on the Twins Clubhouse, brought to you by Mauer Chevrolet. Pleased to have you on board with us today as well. As we fast forward in our time machine, our baseball time machine, to June 18th of 2003, the Oakland Athletics are in town. Always a, a, a big rivalry between you guys and some very good A's teams. You're leading 3-2 to two in the ninth. Your buddy Eric Chavez is at second base. You know what's coming next? Yep. I think I've made a catch to end that streak. Uh, well, this one didn't uh, necessarily end their long streak, but it helped you win a four-game series. This was, I believe, the one you called the button burner. Let's take a listen. One-two in the pitch. Here's a drive to right center field, and it is... Caught Oh, what yes. a catch! A diving <laughs> catch by Tory Hunter ends the game, and the Twins win 3-2. to two. A sensational Diving catch by Torrey Hunter in right center field. Oh, you couldn't ask for a better ending. What a play by a gold glove center fielder, Torrey Hunter. And the Twins win the game. What a fantastic finish here tonight. That was game two of a series. You guys sweep a four-game set from the A's with the big three, which is no small feat. Ramon Hernandez was the guy who hit that ball. You've made a lot of great catches, Tori. And I don't know if you have a list of your favorites, but if you did, I would think that one would have to be close to the top of the list. Oh, yeah. It was just a great moment. Eddie Godado's on the mound, and he throws the ball, and Ramon Hernandez hit the ball just kind of short uh, right center field. And uh, I was like, man, I got to do everything in my power to catch this ball. I saw it sinking fast. Like, if you if, if I miss this ball, it, it goes by me. And so I just say, you know what? For every good thing that happens in your life, it has to be some kind of sacrifice. So I sacrificed. And I went after it and I caught it. Um, and and it just ended the game. And I smelled, like, my buttons. I, I smelled like burning plastic. And it was melting, and I smelled, and it was my buttons on my jersey were all melted and almost gone. I had to get a new jersey, and my goatee. I kind of burned my goatee. I had a goatee <laughs> early on. My face kind of hit the turf, the old turf, like carpet, and uh, and it burned it off. So I had a, I had to shave that night and shave it all off because it was uneven. <laughs> a beard singeing catch in uh, in center field. You know the. The home run robbing catches get all the attention on the highlight shows. Is it almost a higher degree of difficulty coming in on a ball like that? Because if you don't catch the one at the wall, it's already a home run. But this is the one right. where, like you said, there's a lot more at risk, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. It's a lot more sacrifice. you, you got to be willing to sacrifice. And, you know, I don't like to come off my feet. I don't like to really run and dive a ball. I like to just get there. And, um, but some balls, they have like cuts and knuckles and different things like that that makes you die. Sometimes it's, it's fading away from you and you can't do anything but that last stretch and dive. Uh, but when I'm coming in on the ball, I really want to die, but, but my instinct said do it. And, and I did it. 
and you know you're sacrificed when you come off your feet. And 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 I was able to catch the ball. My instincts tell me to do it. I know I'm in the, that range. Your mind can do extraordinary things. You just have to trust it. And in baseball, I really I did trust it a lot. Well, that's really it's a fantastic way to look at it. But is, and that's one of the challenges, right? Is to learn to trust your own mind at a certain point. Oh yeah, you have to. Don't trust your heart, but trust the mind. <laughs> uh, I just kind of like when you put a lot of work into different things. Doubt only comes from disappointment in your life, you know, and that's the only way you can start doubting things from disappointment. I, I've had a lot of disappointments at the plate, so that's why it kind of took me a long time to really catch up to where I always had a lot of confidence at the plate, and it might have took me so I, I got to the Angels, when I realized I'm a great hitter. I got silver sluggers there. Um, but my mind was, people always tell me, oh, he needs to work on this, he needs to work on that. Uh, early on in my twins days, so it kind of stuck with me in my subconscious. But my defense, I knew I was good at that. And I just trust the process. There was no doubt out there. I just trust the process and trust my mind. So, And I, that's what I would tell kids all the time. Trust what you're good at. What you're bad at, make it better. Well, you, uh, we're going to talk more about kind of one of the changes uh, and influences when you went to Los Angeles. But first, you did have some pretty good moments at the plate, including this one, June 4th, 2004, a big league first for you as you walked off the Tigers with a long ball. Here's the pitch really, I did? Swung on a drive, hit the deep left field, way back, way back. Get out of here. Holding for Corey A line shot over the left field fence. To win it for the Twins. Number eight for Torrey. You're going to have to mute Danny's mic on some of those home run calls early in uh, (laughs) in his career. (laughs) He got pretty excited. That was the first of what would become four walk-off homers for you. Uh, A couple as a twin. Uh, That was off Jamie Walker and the Tigers. That's a pretty good feeling floating around with the the game over, huh? I don't even remember that. I, I remember, I remember um, Jamie Walker, the lefty pitcher, pitching, and I hit the ball, but I don't remember it being a walk-off. And well, I, that's crazy. That is crazy to me. I don't know. That's why clips are great because there's sometimes I just don't remember a lot of different things. When you play every day and you have to – and baseball is crazy because when you play every day, you have to have amnesia. You can't mm-hmm. worry about yesterday because today is all that matters. Because if you worry about what happened yesterday, if it was bad, you didn't carry it over. But if it was good, you try to build off of it. And um, I just, it's something I don't remember, and I have no feelings of it <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie Walker must be forgettable because Jamie Walker was the guy Michael Kadire hit his first big league home run off of. And we had Cuddy on the Twins Clubhouse last week, and I said, do you remember your first home run? And he said, yeah, it was Jamie Wright because Jamie Walker was the guy he got, and the next guy he got was somebody Wright. It wasn't Jamie Wright, but it was like Dan Wright. And he combined him into Jamie Wright for his first home run. So maybe it's something about Jamie Walker that uh, is easy to to forget. I know you're going to remember this next one. It happened in July of the same year, 2004. You guys led the White Sox by a half game. It was the first game of a three-game series. And you were standing at third base with a sack fly situation. You remember where? You, you got an idea where this one's going? Yes. <laughs> let's let's get the tape. 
Little fly ball to shallow right field. Coming on is Perez. Makes the catch. Hunter tags. He's going to try to score. It'll be a play. Ooh, safe at the plate, Hunter. And he banged right into Jamie Burke and bowled him over. Oh, what a play by Torrey Hunter. We even had a live band in the in the booth to, to put the proper heavy metal beat behind that one. Uh, those plays don't happen anymore, but that led to not only a win in that game, Tori, a three-game sweep of your closest uh, pursuer, and you guys end up running away with the division. Was that uh, – obviously, you're just playing the game hard, trying to get a run, trying to help win a ball game, but when you look back, did that did that kind of signify any sort of a pivot in that pennant race between you guys and the White Sox? It was. Um, you know, in 2004, and well, actually 2002, three, and four, uh, the White Sox, I, I didn't like them more than I, I didn't like the Cleveland Indians, but I really didn't like the White Sox. And we had a lot of fuse, a lot of our, our guys got hit. We had a lot of uh, bench clearing brawls. Um, it's just, you know, they talk trash in the media. You know, we had some guys on our team talk trash in the media. We tell them not to. We just go out there and we play them hard. We we'll slide hard at second base. We we'll come in hard at the plate and we'll let them talk trash. And um, so, in that moment, I just I didn't take the White Sox. You know, you know, I just kind of went out there and, and played like I was playing a football game. You talk about the the Bulls against the bad boys. Mm-hmm. To me. The uh, the White Sox were the bad boys, and and <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So it was yep. kind of like, yeah, we did what we had to do, and I, I just went out there and I saw that we were half game out. We know we needed this run, um, and and Perez was in right right field, and he caught the ball. I saw I was running, I was not even thinking about running him over. I just saw the ball coming out of Perez's hand, out of my peripheral vision, and. And when I saw it, and then I looked at the Jamie uh, Jamie Burt, I saw him standing there like a statue, like the ball wasn't coming. And then the ball got closer to him, and I was going to try to hook slide, and and then I saw him stick his leg out like he was going to try to, you know, fool me. Mm-hmm. So I just hit him real fast. My reaction was to boom, hit him, and 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 the ball jarred loose, and and I was safe, and we went on to win the you know take over first place further and uh so it was just a competitive edge in me and that's the way i played the game didn't want to hurt them i wasn't trying to hurt them i was just trying to be safe and it just turned out that way that's part of the that cat and mouse and again that play is no longer there but you talk about he was trying to kind of trying to deke you and then maybe drop a dead leg on you at the end which is a good way for a base runner to get hurt i mean there was a lot there's a lot of detail that goes into those those quick moments at home plate that we don't see anymore as opposed to just the, the idea that it was a, a couple of big orange sheep ramming together. I mean, there's a lot going on there in that split second time. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's, you know, you're, like I said, the mind, the mind is powerful. I mean, you can think about a whole bunch of things, even when the pitcher is in the windup, getting ready to throw the ball, you at the plate, you can think about a thousand things. It's amazing. And, and I, once I learned that, uh, you always have to make a decision. And if you don't know that and you didn't have to never make that, you will never understand the thought process, any athlete or CEO or whoever it may be, because they got to make um, uh, decisions on the fly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and sports actually teaches you that. And it's 
that's why I encourage all kids to play some kind of sport to get the lesson out of it. Let's fast forward September 25th, 2006. You talked about unlocking the power later in your career. You hit 30 for the first time. Here it is. Here's Grinke's pitch. Hunter swings and drives it to deep center field. Way back, way back. Hey, touch them all, Torrey Hunter. Number 30. And the Twins have a 5-1 lead. You end up with 31 on the air. You drive in 98. You're a key cog in a phenomenal stretch run uh, that ends up with you guys doing a victory lap in front of the fans at, at, at the Metrodome in 2006. The next year, the power goes up even higher. Slugging is up. OPS is up. You drive in 107. You make another all-star team before heading off to L.A. Boy, in that little two-year span there, uh, you muscled up there, and, uh, and, and you did figure some things out about being a big league power hitter. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. I had a, a lot more confidence. Um, you talk about a guy who was for four years, five, maybe six years, I was branded to be a leadoff hitter, you know, and they, they you know, all I, I knew to take pitches, hit the ball the right side and, and different things like that. And so I was kind of brainwashed to hit a certain way. And then it got around 2004, 2002, I started hitting. And and they start saying, hey, you're going to hit fourth and fifth. And I'm like, what? Fourth and fifth? Fourth, fifth, and sixth. And you're gonna, we're going to utilize more of your power. And and so I just kind of like, okay, I, I accept the challenge. And, and I had to shift my mindset. And uh, and that's that's because Gardy wanted me to hit for more power. He saw the power in me, and he wanted me to get in that fourth, and fifth, and sixth hole because he knew I wasn't afraid. And, um, and it just kind of became a, a part of me. You know, so here's a guy who's the leadoff guy who's supposed to steal bases. Now he's hitting fourth, fifth, and sixth in 2006. Uh, I really got confident in, uh, in driving the ball a lot more. Well, you alluded to the Silver Sluggers you won in Los Angeles, and I remember a conversation we had, I think you were in an Angels uniform at the time, about the impact that Bobby Abreu had, not just on you, but on that entire right. roster. I mean, you guys had hitters, man, you and Vladdy and – and, and and the tough team to pitch to and the aggressive Mike Sosha mentality. And then I remember the way you told it was Abreu took a pitch and you guys looked at each other in the dugout like, we can do that? We can walk? We can take? We don't have to swing? And it changed everything for the entire lineup. Explain that metamorphosis. Man, Bobby, uh, Bobby, he changed my, my, my mentality. And I was 32 at the time. But he changed my mentality of the game. And uh, and it's amazing. I hear that 32 was too old in baseball. It is not. As you get better and wiser and smarter, and you're so witty in the game that you can be be really great. And to hear people say that you're too old to play at, at the age 32 is not true at all. That is false. And because Bobby Bray changed my career, and uh, and that's why I sustained myself till I was 40 years old and was able to put up decent numbers. Uh, to to play, and Bobby Abreu had a big part in that. And you know, one thing he told me, and I, when I go through a slump, he'll say, "Hey, come come to the video room," and he'll have me look at the video. And he said, and I would look at the wrong thing. He would say, uh, "What are you looking at?" And I said, "I'm looking at my front foot, my shoulder." And he said, "No, your mechanics, your mechanics. You've been doing that forever. The one thing you need to focus on: Are you swinging at strikes?" And then when I looked at that, I was swinging at balls. So it's going to break my mechanics down if you swing at balls. So I started swinging at strikes. I kept my mechanics, 
and I was able to put better strikes on ball. Not saying I was going to get hit. I was able to hit the ball consistently hard somewhere, and, and it allowed me to get a better average. So, yes, I have to my cap to Bobby Abreu for that. Well, you talk about, again, you guys were already a team of established good, all-star caliber, in some cases Hall of Fame caliber, major league hitters, and one guy with one little thing can change, you know, and, and augment what you're already really good at. Can that happen with this group of twins? We've got a, a team that hit more home runs than any in the history of the game, and they had a guy like Josh Donaldson who has a little different approach than some of the twins guys who already are successful in what they do. When we get rolling again, is it possible for Twins fans to dream of that sort of an impact from one veteran guy? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you, you, look at the last dance. You look at, you know, what the Bulls had, Scotty Pippen, uh, Rodman, and, and uh, Jordan. All those guys worked together when they became part of the triangle with Phil Jackson. And when they became part of the triangle, you know, Jordan was Jordan. It was really good, of course. But they got really good when you start getting everybody to be a part of it. Scotty was already good, and Dennis Rodman did what he did. Uh, so uh, John Paxton did what he did. But if you look at baseball the same way, when I went to the Angels, uh, Mark Teixeira, and then we later on we got uh, uh, well we got Vladimir Guerrero, we got Sean Figgins at the top, who's one of the best leadoff hitters in the game at that time. It, all those guys play a part, and it actually makes you better. Even when I went to the Tigers, you got Miguel Ferrer hitting behind me, Prince Fielder, and all these other guys all around me, Austin Jackson leading off. I mean, you put teams together like that, it makes everybody, it's like a domino effect. And in our early days with the Twins, we were young, we were good, but it wasn't a Miguel Cabrera or Vladimir Guerrero or Mark Teixeira that was really on our team. And we all just fought, and we had guts and glory, and we went out there and did our thing with that team. But when you put guys together that they're willing to roll that boat together, I mean that's what you that's what you get. You get a dynasty and I think the twins in twenty twenty, uh, they have that club right now that can do some really good damage in the game. That's going to be fun to get to watch them have a chance to do that. Now, you mentioned your time with the Tigers. Uh, I, I said for that whole stretch of time, there was no better place to hit than in the two-hole in front of Miguel Cabrera uh, in that Detroit Tigers uniform. And you you really triggered that lineup hitting in that spot and had some phenomenal years for some really, really good teams, including for a guy who was supposed to be a leadoff hitter, hit number 300 against, of all teams, the Twins. Two balls and no strikes on Hunter. And the pitch is swinging a drive, hit well to left. Back goes Arcia, looks up at the wall, he leaps, it's gone. 2 nothing Tigers on the 300th career home run for Torrey Hunter. That monkey off my back, so I've been trying to do it for a long time, and I went in a little funk, but I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> you were back. Hey, I noticed you didn't hit that one, Oppo. Yeah, the the old man pull power on that one. Well, it was actually a, a two-seamer, and uh, I forgot the guy's name. It was a young guy, but he threw me a two-seamer inside, and, and I was able to turn on it. That's the only way I was going to hit that ball. I couldn't hit that ball to right field. The only place you're going to hit it is turn on it. And, um, and Miguel and Prince Fielder, they were like, man, we need you to get your 300th home run. And that was like three days before I came to Minnesota. And I, and I was trying because I, I listened to the guys like, get it, hit it today, hit it today. So I was trying to hit a home run instead of just get the base hit. And um, and when I got to Minnesota, it's just fitting that I got my you know first home run with 
the Minnesota Twins against the Tigers. Mm -hmm. Then I hit my 300 home runs with the Tigers against the Twins. That is weird. Still to this day. Good little synergy there. Now, you mentioned coming back to Minnesota, and we were all so fortunate to have you back in a Twins uniform playing for your buddy Paul Molitor in 2015. There were a lot of great moments that year. Uh, I think back to early in the year when you got thrown out and performed a little Chippendale striptease uh, with, the, hmm. with the umpire. And afterwards you talked about it. You said, hey, we got to set a tone early. These are young guys. They need to be led. They need to know how to compete and what's expected of them. And I think that never surfaced more uh, than a night in Cleveland. It was August of 2015. Uh, and and the, we were up 7-4, then coughed up a bunch of runs. Get, Mike Pelfrey gave him back, down 9-7 in the fourth. You let off with a double in the fifth, and then Aaron Hicks drove you in to tie it. And when you hit that double, mm-hmm. you steered right into the Twins' dugout as you were racing towards second base. Then Dozier ties it with a home run, and then you come up uh, and do this in a tie game uh, in the ninth inning in a game the Twins had to have and eventually got because of this swing. As he swings and bangs one high and deep to right. Chisinau back at the wall. It is gone. Number 18 for Torrey Hunter. And the Twins legend, 40 years young, puts his team back on top. 10-9 here in the ninth inning. Yeah, he knows when to step up. You know when He knows when to get a little bit more vocal. It's a combination of, of not trying to show panic, but to still show how much passion intensity you have for winning. After we relinquished the lead, um, he was particularly loud trying to tell us to stay with the game. And I think, you know, he had the first opportunity to do that, being the first hitter after we had given up the lead. And he hits a double, you know, so it's nice when you can back it up that way. And then, of course, he gets the game-winning homer. Well, first of all, anytime Paul Molitor is talking, you're probably going to learn something. It's going to be insightful, and that was right on the button. To me, Torrey, that game uh, and your performance in that game really kind of symbolizes the entirety of that season. No, yeah, definitely, man. I, um, well, first of all, like, you know, Molitor. Molitor is somebody that, uh, you know, I look up to, and I think he had more of an impact than almost anybody that I've ever been around in the Minnesota Twins uh, uniform. Uh, so I have the utmost respect for anything that he says or anything he tells me to this day. Um, and, you know, in that moment, I remember uh, Aaron Hicks hitting that double and scoring me. Uh, and I remember coming up to the plate in the ninth inning and hitting that, that ball out in right center, right field. And um, just coming in, trying to pump these guys up, let's go hold it down. You know, just I just wanted to show them a little fire because, you know, we it was different in that clubhouse when I got there. It was more laid back, you know, uh, when we lost some games where I see guys on, on Facebook or, or Instagram and they're laughing and showing people, you know, different posts. And I'm like, we just lost like two minutes ago. And so that's why I came up with the dance party uh, situation in the clubhouse is when we win, we dance. When we don't, we don't dance at all. Um, and so it's kind of like uh, I just wanted to really pump these guys up. Even when I got thrown out, you were talking about strip, I stripped mm-hmm. down. When I got thrown out, it was all staged. <laughs> I, I was I saw the umpire was having a bad day for both sides, the Royals and me, and and so I decided if he called that pitch outside on me, I was going to go ahead and let him have it and show the guys you got to have a passion for the game. That's a passion. That's not anger. And I was doing all that just to prove a point, and I wasn't even that mad. Uh, so um, <laughs> now that I'm like forty, the- I can tell you that forty-four, I can tell you that, but. 
um, yeah, the situation is just to pump those guys up, show them how to have passion for the game, um, um, and and play the game the hard, hard with with heart and in the right way. What I loved about it was it was so early in the year. I mean, I want to say it was April when that happened, and it was so early in the year because you knew what kind of the situation was and that you had to establish new expectation levels from the beginning, uh, and you were able to provide that for that clubhouse. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I always told myself, if I have the police a clubhouse, I'm, I'm retiring. And in, in 2015, it was. I felt myself policing the clubhouse, and when, when I walked in the in the clubhouse or in the in the room, it was like, oh my God, there's Tory. And I'm like, no, that's not the way you're supposed to look at me. It's supposed to be like, talk trash to me, crack a joke, trip me, or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and it got to that point where I was really policing these guys. Of course, I was 40, and these guys might have been 22 to between 22 and 28. And they were still young themselves, but uh, they looked at me differently. Uh, so I had to really carry myself the right way and, and try to come up with creative ways to show them how to have passion for this game. And, uh, and, and, and not saying that they didn't have it at first, but I, I just didn't see it coming from different organizations and different teams, early twins, uh, when I, before I left seven years uh, previously. So uh, it was definitely a di- different atmosphere in that clubhouse in 2015. It has to be kind of fun to see where some of those guys are now, what they've accomplished, and that, yeah, you know what? I think they might have been listening. Oh, uh, yeah. they look. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the reason. I'm not I'm not the reason. These guys already had fire, and they were very good athletes. Uh, but when you see these guys approach the game, and, you know, when you talk about Polanco and, and uh, Rosario and, and uh, um, all the Sano, Buxton, uh, Kepler, all these guys came up in 2015. And I was able to, you know, give them some little uh, uh, pen, secret Pandora's box, uh, if you will, uh, <laughs> while I was there for that year. And then I became a special assistant years after and just kind of I've been with those guys ever since. And, and I still talk to them about life, about financial literacy, about sacrifice, about working hard, about what you eat, about I tell them about everything because it all plays a part. And, and they just need to know that there's many aspects of the game. Ah, great stuff, Tori. As always, it's uh, always wonderful to get your insights and, and to, to talk about your journey and kind of how it continues now and the way you still have fingerprints all over the players in this organization and, and around baseball. Uh, and you continue as we ride this out till we can throw that first pitch of 2020 to take care of your family and friends there in Texas. And we can't wait to see you healthy and smiling and laughing and cutting up and uh, back at a ballpark where you belong here before too long. Man, I know everybody's looking looking forward to it, and and uh, hopefully we can get this season going, and and the Twins show everybody and shock the world in a hundred games how great they are. Awesome. That sounds like a plan. That's Tory Hunter, and Tory Hunter, Twins Hall of Famer, is our guest today on the Twins Clubhouse. Brought to you by Mauer Chev, your local Chevy dealers at Mauer Auto. Here and ready to help schedule your maintenance needs or book an appointment for a test drive online at MauerAutoGroup.com. We appreciate Tori's time and insights here today. We appreciate you for joining us. We'll invite you to join us again when we throw open the doors to the Twins Clubhouse next week right here on your home, Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.